Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Vince. We are flying as a duo tonight. Zach is still on paternity leave, and Walter had better things to do than hang out with us. So um, let's jump right in here. We've got Catwoman number 31, written by Rom V, illustrated by Fernando Blanco. Vince, what'd you think of this issue? Mm, um, I continue to really enjoy this book more as a vehicle for Fernando Blanco's art than anything. I think the story, the story is certainly good. Um, you know, it's, it's most of this issue is just basically kind of like a, uh, fancy pants heist sort of thing with Selena infiltrating this, um, like art show or whatever. Um, and th- that stuff is all pretty standard. I mean, it's well done. It's it's well done. It's just not it's not anything that'll surprise you or knock your socks off. Um, Especially but, uh, when so much of the issue is spent like a Bond villain explaining what happened to the to the mark. Yeah. Yes. And it's very much going for that, right? Like, of course. Yes. I, I feel like it's it's purposely doing that, and that's fine. It's a, it's a trope. Um, I think Ram V writes that stuff pretty well like he clearly gets the trope and how to use it um but the the art is just so confident and and uh self-assured and um and yeah like blanco's art just gets better and better uh the more i see it i think there's a scene where that guy um uh, like kills himself Yes. And and reveals like uh that that he's working for Simon Saint. And I love the art in that bit, how it zooms in on the gun, and then you're you're spared from like the, the violence of it, but then you get the the big um uh what what's what's the term for the I can't think of it with the with the words in the art. There's like a term for that. MS word art? <laughs> no, well yes. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. It's that effect. There, yeah. there's 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 a phrase for it that I'm not thinking of because I'm You don't mean uh, like uh, um automatopeia, right? Like saying the word? Um I mean it's kind of that. It's it's just it, it is it is the the word made art, right? Like it's right, part sure. of the it's part yes. of the art. And then you get the 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 subtle splash of blood and Selena's reaction to it and that whole sequence is just such a, a a mature and smart and dark bit of storytelling without being gratuitous. Um, and I love the way it works. It's the kind of thing that only a comic book can do. Yes. Um, so I really liked that page. And then the way that it dovetails really deeply into the James Tynion, Simon Saint, Batman stuff Uh with this issue, like it spends a, a good chunk of this on Simon Saint and, and that stuff's really good too. Like I, I, I continue to be intrigued by that storyline. So w- without saying that this book like totally knocks my socks off or anything, it is just continues to be a really solid read. Um, especially with the way that it ties into the greater narrative, I think. Yes, I, I think all of that is is very well said. I, I'm I'm very surprised by 
how interconnected interconnected these bat books continue to be because it seems to me like when they started you could sort of see you know that they're all operating in the same Gotham right but like Simon Saint is a huge part of this story now and really didn't seem at all like something that maybe would affect Catwoman because why would why would the you know the peacekeepers necessarily affect Catwoman just yet it just seems like I know Tynion had said when I spoke to him that that these were, you know, super interconnected books, and that this is the most connected Gotham was going to be in a very long time. I think it's one thing to say that it's something different to actually experience it, and it's mm. been a very satisfying experience to see these books play together so much. Uh, we're going to talk about another Bat book later that I think also does a nice job of sort of connecting things, but in a very different way. So I'm excited to talk about that later. Um, but there's there is something just so fun about Blanco's art, even when he's drawing, like you said, you know, some relatively um, disturbing stuff. I I just feel like there were a couple of moments in this issue where I just found myself blown away by the beauty of the art. One of them was the sequence you talked about, which again, like who'd have thought there'd be a beautiful suicide sequence in this comic? But the other one for me was the sort of um, escape of poison ivy and you know it, it's all being very much laid out like i said like a bond villain revealing their plan as the laser is coming up of coming up the operating table right but the way that blanco draws when you go back and you look at the issue the stuff that selena is revealing there are clues to that all throughout the book and even when stuff is being laid out pretty clearly there are these little artistic flourishes that just add to it, and it's such a fun sequence to read. And it's not just clever; it's also really beautifully illustrated. And it's you know, like you were saying, you you basically you're reading this book for Blanco's art at this point. Not that Rombi's story is is terrible, but I, I I'm I mean to me the hook is is 100% the art right now. So mm -hmm. I agree with you there. Um, any other notes on this issue? Um. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think I think you said it all. No, you said it all. <laughs> all right, well, that brings us to the Flash number seven seventy, illustrated by Jeremy, uh, written by Jeremy Adams, illustrated by Jack Herbert, Brandon Peterson, and one glorious page by Kevin McGuire. We'll get to that page a little bit later, but um, <laughs> so this this issue is the uh, the first one where Brandon Peterson isn't doing the bulk of it. And I know we have been critical of the art in this book thus far. Did this issue go down smoother for you with the Jack Herbert art, or was the Jack Herbert art more of the same? Mm. This isn't to denigrate the skill, because I think I think Herbert is skilled at rendering characters and you know there are there are a couple of nut faces throughout <laughs> yeah. this yeah um but I, I you know without without looking very much like Brandon Peterson Herbert is another artist that I don't think is that suited for the flash yeah you I, know I have very similar thoughts to that I don't understand and I I kind of understand it for this issue if you wanted to have more of a 
stately golden age vibe, I understand why maybe a Herbert or a Peterson makes more sense for this issue than for, say, the issue set, you know, in Impulse's time or the issue that was set in the sort of prehistoric time. Like, to me, I understand why, especially with, with Wally being somebody who looks up to Jay in such a reverential way that to think, you know, Jay fought Hitler, to think about these these like iconic moments, and if you want to make that a little bit more cinematic and a little bit more um, sort of old Hollywood posed and saturated colors, I, I understand all of those impulses, but to me, it just, it doesn't work for The Flash. No. And actually, I'm glad you brought up and said what you just said, because I think you hit home for me something that has bothered me about golden age pastiches and particularly JSA stories. Watch since, yourself now. Well, since, since I began reading comics, I feel like I've run into this. Um, I, it's nothing to do with the, the JSA themselves. I feel like DC consistently puts artists on JSA stories with this intent to, like you just said, make them look very stately posed, uh, you know, 1940s Hollywood, however you want to say it. Um, and you know, like intentionally stiff or whatever. And, and, and from a very young age for me reading these comics, they came off as boring to me. I always thought the JSA was boring because of how the comics looked. And what I real, sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. And then I I have a response to that. Sure. What I realize is my problem with it is that they're picking these artists that are going for an approximation of what we think of as the time period, but not that time period as in, it was in the in comics. comics. Exactly. Yeah, yes. yes. And it drives me nuts because then I think about, did you ever read? Um, oh God, I don't remember when it was from, but it was a comic book called like the, the legend of wonder woman or something like that. And it was a, uh, not the Jill Thompson one, right? No, nope. It was um Oh God. Do you wanna do you wanna say what you were thinking of while I Google this? Sure, sure. What you what you were gonna stop so, me? What I was gonna say was that before I started reading JSA stories, I felt the same way you did about the art, and I realized it's almost always just the cover art. That mm. I think if you and again I had the exact same and part of that is that Alex Ross does so many of those covers. And like no disrespect to Alex Ross, he's the best ever at what he does. Like in what Alex Ross does, you can't do it better than he does it. But that's not necessarily what I want to see from a comic book. Um, yeah. But I was surprised when I started reading the first volume of Johns's JSA last year. Like I had read issues of that here and there, and I had read lots of sort of the arcs and all that. But overall, that book has way weirder art than you'd anticipate and way less stiff art. Um, okay. So I, I would encourage you just as a fan of those stories 
to to give them another shot and, and maybe to um to reconsider that but, but I because I because I had the exact same thought beforehand also and I also think maybe some of the more prestige titles that were done or like I can think of when the JSA was part of Infinite Crisis I feel like they were very much drawn that way uh-huh. so so maybe it's just like maybe that's how the quote like mainstream JSA stuff was whereas the month in month out JSA book I don't think necessarily feels that way sure and I think you're probably right um and and I'm also I also probably have read the wrong stories um or or my impression is just mostly of the the cover and the iconography more than anything else I think you're right when you say like they try to approximate this Alex Ross feel for those characters and it, it doesn't always work. It, it, it almost never works the way that, that Ross's art does. I think like when I read the James Robinson golden age miniseries, mm-hmm. um, that featured art from, I think it was Paul Smith, Paul Smith. I will look right. that up as you do that. Um, but anyway, like, I think Paul Smith's art is technically very sound, but I also think it goes for this same sort of feel. I don't think the yeah, coloring. Smith, you're right. Yeah, I don't think the coloring helps at all either. I was just going to so say, the... usually there's also really, um, really distinctive coloring that mm-hmm. feels everything feels like it's supposed to be doing the magic hour in Hollywood. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah exactly. And it comes off as very drab to me in a comic book. And, and what I would prefer is, and this is my personal taste, but like I looked this up now, it's the legend of wonder woman. It was a four issue miniseries uh, written by Kurt Busiek and uh, the art was by Trina Robbins and the art does an intentional um, HG Peter homage. So it looks like, a very, pristine, a very pristine version of a Golden Age yeah. Wonder Woman comic. And, you know, whether it's um, the New Frontier or, you know, something like this Legend of Wonder Woman, like, I just feel like an old school take on heroes benefits a lot more from uh, minimalist line work and brighter colors than this stiff, muted, almost painterly take. That I feel like, you know, I, I believe you, Brian, when, when you say that I'm, you know, maybe painting with too broad of a brush there. But I, I do feel like a good chunk of them do end up looking like that. Um, even even when we got some of the uh, Golden Age stuff in the Brian Hitch, uh, Hawkman, who mm-hmm. was the right? Venditti. Venditti, yeah. Even some of that stuff was given that same sort of artistic treatment that just, to me, it just makes it a little more boring than than it otherwise could be. And I felt like that was this issue in a nutshell. Um, I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that this issue did some fun stuff. I, I really, really like the sort of peanut gallery of Barry, Ollie, and Michael Holt, like in the in the future, talking to Wally. I think that has been a really pleasant source of of comedy throughout this series. Um, I I really I still really dig the whole like the general vibe that the story is going for in terms of this sort of as you put it, you know, in referencing 
one of my favorite shows of all time, like the Quantum Leap Flash story, right? I love love that. I think it's so fun. I think it's a, a really um, well well put together concept for a Flash story. I just feel like the art is not really firing on all cylinders yet. Now, I don't know if when Wally becomes the main character of this book, if the art team is going to change much. Uh, I, I, I could look up solicits right now, but I I hope it does because I, I just, to me, the, like you said, this is not the dynamic Flash book I want to see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, and I think you're right about the, some of the fun stuff in there. Like, I think um, making uh, the Ray, like the kind of the tag along hero in this and, you know, the telling an, yet another Spear of Destiny story. Yep. Um, well, you know, kind of overdone with this time period and these characters. I think, you know, it's nonetheless a, a bit of cheeky fun anytime you can have like Hitler getting his ass kicked or whatever. Yes. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and yeah, the, I, the quant, the quantum leap thing you're talking about, the, 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 the voices in the head, the, the way that that's used, the way that like they use information from each time period to inform, you know, what the next part of the plan is or whatever. That's a lot of fun. Um, I wish the art was as fun. That's, that's, that's all, that's all I'm saying. And thankfully, as you alluded to already, the last page definitely delivers on that exact level of artistic fun that, that I'm hoping for. And, and the, the only thing is like for that piece, they're obviously trying to match the art of the time with the time period that they're going for. Like literally what the franchise looked at the t- like at the time. Right. Versus, versus this approximation of, maybe how we think of the time period with no relation to the actual comic book art. It would be like if, oh, here's what it would be like. It would be like Wonder Woman 84 where, yeah. where yes. it, it's, it's every eighties cliche thrown at the screen because it takes place in 1984. And if this comic was going for, if this was doing to the eighties, what it's doing to the golden age, then like the reverse flash would have had on like some, some Zubas and, uh, you know, uh, some hyper color shirts and stuff. Like it would have been just the most cliched eighties stuff you could imagine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's a good call, but yeah, um, in, in case you didn't read this issue, the next issue is going to be illustrated by Kevin McGuire, at least partially. And it's going to take place essentially in the Super Friends universe. Um, the, uh, the 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 tagline at the bottom says, "Meanwhile, at the at the Legion of at the Legion of Doom, I believe it says, and like yeah. at the Hall of Doom." And that is that is literally what the voiceover from Super Friends would say when it would go over to those stories. Um, I, I, a bit of continuity nerd here: uh, the Reverse Flash was never on Challenge of the Super Friends, which is specifically the era they're referencing. Um, but I <laughs> will allow to it. You. I know, no, but I, but 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 I'm thrilled about it. I think it's so much fun. Uh, yeah. The the token Flash villain on that show was Captain Cold always. Each that's right. Each yeah. hero had their like one villain that they got, and uh, that was Captain Cold. But yeah, but yes. But this is super fun. And Kevin, not only are they going for what the franchise looked like at the time, it's even going with an artist who was contemporaneously working in comics at that time. That's wild. Yeah. So, you know, sorry uh, sorry that you're dead, Joe Kubert. You can't do a, a Golden Age story for us, a Silver Age story for us, rather. But, you know, 
it's 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 fun. I, I think this book is is still full of really fun ideas. I am just hoping and praying that we get some some better art out of this in the next uh, installment or two. But we'll see. And, and again, like the, the art is not it's not bad art. It's not what was the last book we read like for the show with regularity the last ongoing we read that had truly atrocious art. I can't even remember. DC has DC's art style is more often boring than bad. Yeah. Yeah, the see the thing the thing I remember about the New 52 I think people uh often oversell this idea that um DC has some kind of house style because I think I think they pride themselves on and I think it's fairly true that most of their titles, if they have a regular artist, it's a featured artist that does work that is very much their own and doesn't necessarily uh, subscribe to some specific DC house style. I think during the new 52, the fill in, there was a lot of bad fill in art. I can remember some issues of teen Titans in particular, and that was a bad, that was a bad run of comics, first of all, but I remember some fill in issues that were absolute garbage during that run. Um, and I won't speak of who the artist was (laughs) that I'm thinking of in particular, although I, I could name names, um, and then, of course, you had Rob Liefeld doing a lot of work back then, too. Now, I think, in the Rebirth slash uh, Infinite Frontier era, if you get, quote-unquote, fill-in art, that is the house-style stuff. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And 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 that that's not bad. It's, like, it's not bad. It's just, it's either boring or... If the art itself is not bad, it's just maybe ill-fitting for the subject matter. Right. Um, yeah. I, I feel like there were – like with the New 52, there was a surprising amount of variety in the art. Like you had Moritat on All-Star Western. You had um, you know, Rags Morales on Action Comics. You had Greg Capullo on Batman. Cliff Chang. Cliff, Cliff Chang on Wonder Woman. There, there, there was a fair amount of, of diversity there. But like you said, I think that one of the things that was so um, like hammered into the New 52 was, remember there's going to be no delays? That was their big thing? Yeah. And yep. because of that, you you got a lot of people who were not necessarily able to complete their work, and so you got so many fill-ins. And like, I think you're right. I think the fill-ins are where we get that that sense of um, of house style. So... All right, let's do this. Let's take a break, and when we return, we're going to be back with Justice League, Nightwing, and Vince's favorite, Wonder Girl. Hello, denizens of Earth-1218. We are the hosts of Make Mine Multiversity, a twice-monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster One. And I'm Elias, the Bendis One. Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent-ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series, past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday. Excelsior. Excelsior, indeed. And we are back with Justice League number 61 by Brian Michael Bendis and David Marquez. 
Uh, so this issue takes place completely on Naomi's home planet, which is a place that we have not spent uh, any real time. And we get a little bit more of, of time with, with some of the characters that aren't just Brutus, who is the big bad of the of this story, um, and who unequivocally sucks. Like, that character is just boring Bendis bullshit, uh, the, the triple B, if you will. And um, I did not love the stuff with the denizens of this planet, but I thought this was a pretty good issue of a Justice League comic. I'm curious what you thought about this. That's funny because I I think almost exactly the same thing. Um, It's going to kind of parrot what I already said about this the last time we talked, but... um, I, I could give a shit less about any of these villain characters, what they've got going on. They sound, they sound completely wrong <laughs> for yeah. how they, for how they look <laughs> and, uh, and the sort of tone that Bendis is trying to set with them. It's very bizarre to me. Um, having said that secretly somewhere within this is a, pretty well-written justice league i think like the team itself yes i think on the whole the book is (sighs) disappointing is maybe too strong of a word because i am i'm finding myself enjoying the little character beats between the justice league members so much that it really is a breeze to read it's just that I, i man these villains are so um ill-advised i think (laughs) is the best way to say it like everything about them is just so like oh i wouldn't have done that (laughs) not not that i'm not that i'm a genius comic book writer or anything with you know decades of experience like brian michael bendis but like they just seem like a complete misfire from beginning to end so i Um, don't know if if he's trying to give like a, a a an experience that that is full of cognitive dissonance, where like you can't believe who these characters are like. They're like they're regular douchebags, whatever. Like, you know, I I don't understand if if that's what he's going for. But it yeah, doesn't maybe. it doesn't really play though. It's it's just so weird. Like, yeah, oh man, the way that Brutus talks is so fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah. <It's, sighs> It's unbearable. It's unbearable. So, so I'm just doing the math here. <laughs> That's a line that he says. Yeah. Um, they they almost sound and and forgive me for the you know uh, for the slander of the patron saint the patron saint of my home state, but it almost sounds like someone's trying to do Kevin Smith dialogue. Oh boy. <laughs> boy. Yeah, it's not good. Not good at all. Uh, no ticket. <laughs> exactly. But again, like I think that the interaction between the Justice League members themselves was actually is, is actually pretty good in this book. There's that moment with with Batman and Naomi where she's having a, basically a panic attack, and Bruce just says Ducktales. Yeah, and, then, and she looks at him and she says it again. And she her panic attack sucks because she's trying to figure it out. And she says, "Why does that work?" He says, "It just does." <laughs> and I feel like and that was that's great. You know what? The "why does it work?" It just does thing is exactly how I felt about that moment. 
too. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> like, like the Batman saying ducktail. No, come on. What are you, what are you doing? But the thing is, is that like, we saw it in Batman universe, his, his Walmart story. When Bendis adds a little bit of levity to Batman, it really works. Like, I feel like I'm saying the exact opposite thing about these villains that I hate. Right. <laughs> that would apply directly to Batman, but somehow when somehow when when Bendis is writing Batman in this way, there's something about the alchemy that it just works. And I don't know if it's because we spend so much time with Batman and all these other books barely cracking a smile so that in this book when he says DuckTales or when he says um there's another line and I'm searching for it real quick here. Oh, I'm not a fan of sarcasm, young lady. Like mm-hmm. just those little bit, you know, like it doesn't seem like much, but when Batman, when Bruce Wayne is such an oppressive, uh, force in DC comics publishing line, little things like that go a long way. Absolutely. And I, I, I think it really works. I also, it's funny because Bendis has this reputation of, of being the guy who does young heroes, you know, between Miles Morales and his ultimate Peter Parker and all that. Maybe the problem with his Superman run was that he doesn't know how to write Jonathan Kent, which seems like it should be exactly in his wheelhouse, right? Like, based on his past experience, it seems like Jonathan Kent should be the ultimate Brian Bendis character. But maybe that's what didn't work about his Superman run. Because I don't think his Superman in these issues has been bad at all. I mean, he hasn't done a ton, but I, I don't think it's suffering from the problems that his Superman run suffered from. Well, and I think his I think his Superman and his Clark in his Superman run was quite good. Yeah. I, I think it was a similar story uh, to the Justice League stuff where everything around the plot of his Superman was so good. And then the plot, I couldn't give a shit less about. The villains couldn't care less about. Same thing here. I think all the trappings are very good, and all the bendacy stuff around the periphery is mostly very good somehow, and could not care less about the actual plot of it. I almost, I almost wish. Uh, no, I don't because it's like a monkey's paw thing to say this, but I almost wish Bendis would do like a twelve-issue prestige miniseries where the Justice League eats a veggie tray at. <laughs> Right. Mr. Miracle's house. But I don't want I don't want that because if it actually came to light, it would be the most pretentious, awful thing I've ever read. But what I'm saying is within the context of this Justice League comic, that's the best stuff. Yes. I also think one of the things that he does well is I I think sometimes writers come on to a team book and there's a character or two that they just completely get wrong because they try to instantly leave their mark on that character. And I feel like Bendis has no such ego here where he's not trying to radically reinvent anybody. He's just telling these stories, you know, I, I think as, as well as he can. And so because of that, you get fun stuff. Like I think the Ali Dinah relationship really works here, but it's not a radical reinvention of that. You know, I, I think that... Even something as silly as like having Oliver's bow have, have like iPhone fingerprint technology on it, like that that that's a fair Oliver Queen thing. Especially in the New Fifty Two, he was oftentimes 
the uh, Steve Jobs of the DC universe, right, with the Q pad and all that stupid shit. Yeah. So, so I feel like that's you know that's fun. I think his, I think the way his Black Adam kind of at the last minute here steps in and defends Clark. I think that that's true to Black Adam. Like, I think everyone's just kind of true to who they are, and he's not trying to to change too much. But he, but he, but like you said, the humor with Batman. There are a couple little touches that are nice little flourishes, but he's not. He is not trying so hard like some writers do to make this like a Bendis comic, capital B, capital C, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, let's. Uh, we should also say David Marquez is continuing to do really good work on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't want to bury the artist here because it, it it's a fantastic looking book. And uh, even if I don't care at all about the villains or whatever, the fight scenes look look good. They do. They do. <laughs> they look very good. Ten out of ten. Costumes look great. Yep. Um, yep. The yeah. I mean, Mar- Marquez is just he he just he knows how to do a superhero comic in in a way in a very satisfying way, and I feel like. This Justice League comic does not look particularly unlike a comic. Uh, you know, Marquez had done mainly Marvel work before this point, or at least recently had done mostly Marvel stuff. And so, you know, you get these ideas in your head of like, oh, he's going to come and he's going to, we're going to see stuff we'd never seen before. But kind of like what I was saying with Bendis, he's not trying to reinvent the wheel here. He's just trying to do a really solid Justice League comic. And that's. That's fine by me. That's all I want right now. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go to the backup, Justice League Dark by Rom V and Zermonico. Um, to me, this felt like the first of the Justice League Dark installments that really felt like a uh, just a filler chapter. Like they they kind of had to get into this like library where all written words live or however they described it they had to get the characters there and so most of this issue was just spent just basically um spent uh <laughs> just getting them there i guess is the way i'm trying to say it. it it doesn't really do too much for me what about you um yeah i i i kind of felt the same way although i think I think it's still pretty good, and I think the the sort of like um, isometric view of them walking to the Library of Babel um, was some pretty nifty art stuff. I think um, it was it was nice to look at. But you're right about this feeling more like filler, especially when it ends and the subtitle of the installment is "Enter Ragman." Mm-hmm. Which, which, which happens in the first page, <laughs> or actually happens in the last page of last chapter. <laughs> the, the last page of last chapter, and is is essentially not what this this installment is about. Right. Um. So uh, that was kind of funny, I think. Um. That being said, like, nothing wrong with this story, other than that. Um. It just feels like. It does feel a little more decompressed than I would hope a backup would at this point. Part of the, part of my enjoyment of these backups in Infinite Frontier so far was that they were little bite-sized pieces of something that felt like they were meant to be bite-sized, you know? Yes. Those those Damien backups, they were such perfect little 
chunks. They didn't feel like a part cut out of a fuller story. They felt like a prelude or an intentional, um, an intentional teaser for something. Uh, this feels like a vertical slice of a story of just a full, just a full comic series, like a six issue arc or a 12 issue arc or something. Um, so I enjoy it a little less on that level. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. No, you know? and certain, I think, certainly not. And Zermanico does the thing. I, I feel like this was always something that happened in a tower of fate when the rooms would be kind of like an MC Escher painting. Um, you know what I mean? Just like everything's kind of flopped around and you're walking up the walls and all that. It, it's an, it's a, it's a pretty common DC trick, but Zermanico does a nice job with those pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I would definitely encourage folks to check it out, but maybe to limit their expectations for this particular chapter. Um, all right, next up we have Nightwing number eighty, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Bruno Redondo. Uh, he's not on the show this week, so I'm going to say this directly to our friend Walter Richardson. Walt, you're wrong. This is fucking great. This is really, really good. I loved, loved, loved this issue. Um. What did you think of this issue? I'll go. I'll go off about it later. But what do you? Uh, what do you think about this? I don't think I am quite on your level with that. But um, I don't have a bad word to say about this at all. I think the. I think Tom Taylor just writes such a charming dick and makes that look incredibly easy. You know. Yes. I think I think Dick's character in general just kind of helps with that. Um, like, no character is easy to write, certainly. But I feel like um, Dick is one where it's just... I, you've said it before on the show. Like, his character is so such a cornerstone of DC Comics that I feel like, you know, any any decent writer worth their weight immediately gets it. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think Tom Taylor gets it. And I, the stuff with him and Babs is wonderful. The stuff where, you know, they talk about how they're, they both have law degrees or whatever, mm-hmm. when they're talking to those, uh, detectives, just great. Um, so I don't know. Does Dick have a law degree in this continuity? I, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like it. Because so, <laughs> so in the last days of pre-crisis on infinite earth, earth two, both Dick and Barbara are DAs, mm-hmm. um, but I don't. Well, everything everything is in continuity, Brian. I so. guess it is, yeah. So because because there's a whole thing with with in the the uh, there's a story. Is it the last days the Justice Society? It's one of those. No, it's just the USA versus Justice Society. One of those stories where basically um, Dick is the prosecutor going after the Justice Society uh, because he wants. He basically he wants to give them a fair trial, and he knows no other prosecutor will. So he becomes the prosecutor, and Barbara is their attorney. Um, so that's kind of a fun bit of, of old school continuity that I have not seen referenced in a long time. Yeah, um, and I I would not have known that uh, apart from you saying that. I I just assumed it was true based on it being in this comic. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I, I like this a lot, and uh, and Bruno Redondo is. A big star of the show here. Yes, the the Dick Tim, excuse me, the Dick Tim like combination fight sequence mm-hmm. was just so well executed. Yeah, 
just really really fine action so i love this yeah comic. i mean go off on yeah yeah, yeah. okay so off, I, first of all this this does the bat family relationships perfectly like you said before you know, it's pretty easy to get dick grayson because just who he is but when he when they introduced tim drake he says something along the lines of you know some people say tim was the best robin i get it he's not upset because he loves his brother like one of the best bits of the uh right after bruce dies in uh final crisis is that dick says he can't take tim to be his bat his robin because he considers them equals and I love that bit of just family storytelling. And he refers to him here as his brother. And I hate it when the Robins fight. I know that that has to happen sometimes for storytelling reasons. But nothing warms my heart more than the Robins being buddies. And so seeing that stuff here, just the, the, the relation between Dick and Babs and Dick and Tim and Tim and Babs is all really, really well done here. And you know how much I love that stuff. So that's that's the first bit that really works here. Second of all, I think that this story has taken a, a, a slight bit of a cliched term, but I think it's doing that purposely. So we said the first time, the first week rather, that Dick is going to get all this money and then he's going to try and do good with it. And last week we saw him try to do good with it. And this week we see that even though he threw money at a problem, it didn't solve the problem. I know that that is a cliched way to tell this story. But I think it's a way to tell to tell the story that would feel insincere if it wasn't doing that on some level. That I feel like that's the story, you know that that's the story that had to be told. And I think that Taylor and Redondo are doing a good job of telling that story. But what I'm loving about this book, beyond the relationship stuff, is Redondo's action sequences are just so good. So there's a scene where Dick throws his um like his retractable billy club, whatever it is, he throws it to Tim for Tim to use to sweep the leg of some of these thugs they're fighting. And just the the choreography that they do to show this whole sequence is so fun and so well put together. It's just it's just it's just great. Redondo's doing such great work here. And it's just it's firing on all cylinders for me. And part of this, I have to say, I mean, we all know how much I love Dick Grayson, but part of this is also because we had Rick Grayson for so long before this <laughs> that it just feels like a lovely exhale after the Rick Grayson stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It I again I don't want to make this sound like uh Tom Taylor is not a talented hardworking person who've who's earned every bit of this but what it feels like to me and this is not meant as a slight at all it, it feels like all that rick grayson stuff was just a setup so that whoever would take over the book in earnest when it was over would have just the easiest time in the world <laughs> making making you love it right like yes i know that's i know that's not what happened but that's the effect that it has that's the that's the heroes reborn aspect of it right and heroes reborn sucked but like that's the feeling you were supposed to get right like oh yes. my god we're, we're it's back to back to basics back to and look how easy it is this book just hums you know yeah um yeah it's 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 wild how uh how well that worked 
Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say, I mean, if you still have stuff to no, say, go, go for it, man. It, but, but one other thing I wanted to say before I forget and before we, before we move on is um, I only wish uh, Zach Wilkerson could be here for the Kingdom Hearts uh, Heartless crossover <laughs> that he's missing, not having read a DC comic book in like five months. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you know that no matter, be, how much we t- no matter how much we tell him to catch up, he's not going to do it. No, he's not going to do it. He already said, actually, I'm, I'm going to put him on blast right now. Uh, well, he's not on the show and he can't defend himself. And he'll never listen to this either. So he'll and, never. And hear he'll this. never. He'll never hear this. Um, so he won't know, Zach. Uh, you will never hear how much I love you, because um, I will never say those words to you directly. Um, <laughs> Who are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I know. We tell each other we love one another all the time. We do. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, uh, he already admitted to us in Lad's chat that he will not read a comic before he he gets back and when he gets back he's going to just act like he did and just tr- try to get in w- worm his way back into the discussion faking it he already said that so listeners uh at wilker fox when you catch him doing this on the show in future months when you can clearly see that he hasn't read the books i, I want you to call him out this is call out culture uh we're doing it we're canceling zach um, the craziest part about that, about him not catching up, is that there has never been an easier time to catch up. Like, yeah. for so many reasons. Like, I, you know, back in the day, when, when my daughter was born, I had a physical pull list at the comic shop that I had to go pick up. And I can understand why you can't do that, right? But, like, nope, we get all this stuff digitally. There's a limited number of series coming out right now. Nothing at the moment is double shipping. Like, he could very easily catch up if he wanted to. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, this but instead, been... he's instead he's reading uh, again, as he told us in Lad's chat, five new manga that he's <laughs> following. <laughs> yes. So, this has been the co-host slander portion of the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's get back to the main event here with our final book of the week, Wonder Girl number one, written and illustrated by Joel Jones. Vince, I'm not even going to say a word. Go for it. <laughs> Yes, you are. I'm going to need you to fill some space here Um, because otherwise it's just me kissing this uh, on the lips. Uh, No, um, here's the thing. I liked this a lot. I was not head over heels gaga in love with everything about it. Um, The art was great, but you already knew the art would be great, right? Like I someday... I'm going to buy a Joel Jones piece of original art. I'm going to pony up the dough. They're, they're really expensive, but I'm going to do it someday because she's my favorite. Um, every page of this looks really good. Every page of this is very dynamic, um, detailed, gorgeous looking, great stuff. Um, the... I, I, I'm really interested in the way the different aspects of the Wonder Woman, Wonder Girl, Themyscira, Bon Amigdal stuff all come together in this. There's 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 hints of it here and there. There's like a page here and there of uh, Nubia in her role as the Queen of Themyscira right now. There's a little bit about what's going on at Mount Olympus. 
Um, which is I, I love when I love when Wonder Woman brings that stuff together, right? Those are kind of, you know, the the Themyscira stuff is very original Wonder Woman, Golden Age, classic origin stuff. The Greek pantheon stuff is more of like your Perez. I mean, obviously it's an integral part of Wonder Woman's history at this point, but like really got focused on with the Perez stuff. And I love, I love when you mix those together and you, uh, you know, really clearly Jones is trying to throw as much of the Wonder Woman canon into this as she can in these like little bits and pieces. Um, and I really appreciate that. And I can't wait to see how that shakes out. The, the plot itself, at, at least to this point, is a little by the numbers for me. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just more interested in where this is going that this isn't a, a this isn't a number one issue that just like, like smacks you in the face with exactly what the book is going to be. You know, this isn't a number one that like uh, is its own perfect little encapsulation of, of the series as a whole, I don't think. Um, but I but I really liked it. Uh, like I like all the elements. Um, I I don't even want to say it left me cold at all because it it didn't. It's just that that you know sometimes you read those those number one issues that just perfectly get it right. That just like weave everything together and 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 give you the total package of what the the mission statement for this book right. And I'm not sure what the mission statement is yet because I don't know. And it's intentional. They're not telling us yet, but we don't really know why Yara is here, why she's being subjected to what she's being subjected to, and the greater role that she plays in Infinite Frontier just yet. And I think that's the that's the elusive piece of this that is just keeping me from totally head over heels loving it. Does that make sense? Yes, and I think that I can sum up how I feel about it piggybacking off that the biggest issue with this is that in the Joel Jones future state wonder girl stories we got very little sense of who Yara Floor is in the infinite frontier one shot we got very little idea of who Yara Floor is and now in the first issue of the ongoing series we have very little idea of who Yara Floor is we know a little bit about her past, and I, and I and I understand the, um, I understand that there is that this is a great mystery that's going to be played out over the course of the series. But I'm not even talking about her past. I mean, we don't even know much about who she is right now. We know that she's of Brazilian descent. We know her parents didn't want her to go on this trip, and that's kind of all we know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the first issue of this series should have given us more reason to care about this character. Because I think that the I mean the artwork, I would buy this book just for the artwork. And I, I love the sort of dense Themyscira, Olympus history. I love all that stuff. All that stuff is great. But the heart of the book needs to be that character, and we have no real reason to care about that character just yet. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think... I think, unfortunately, that that is at least partially intentional because um, 
a lot of the other characters speak in sort of these riddles or sort of half sentences or half ideas about like, um, you know, the, 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 the characters on Mount Olympus, Zeus and Hera, they, they make reference to the weapon or like something has awoken, you know? And like, it's, it's clearly meant to be this kind of like ambiguous, like something has awoken that's going to turn Yara into Wonder Girl or, or that's going to shape this corner of the DCU and everyone's just making vague references to it. And, and that includes like her character as, as kind of vague at this point, we're, we're not even supposed to know. Right. Right. And, um, I, and I understand and that's, I get that from the storytelling perspective, but I still feel like we would care more about that if we cared about her just a little bit. And I totally agree. I think that's, I, I think there should be a way to do both. And I think, I think, I think there is, and I just think it, it was a missed opportunity, right? Um, compare that to like Joel Jones's first couple issues on Catwoman when, when she took the Catwoman solo book coming out of the Tom King stuff. Mm-hmm. Her Selena, and maybe part of it is because we already know who Selena is, you know? Right. That's a good point. Yeah. Her Selena, her Selena was like perfect, I, I thought, you know, personality wise. Um, just the, the total depiction of her and, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right about Yara, like still very much an enigma. We don't, we don't know why any of this is happening to her yet. And we also don't know why we should care or have anything to tether onto other than it's a great character design. Right. Right. Um, and that's not, that's not enough at this point. I suspect in this opening arc, we're going to get more, but that's not a guarantee Right. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I totally agree with you. That, that's why it didn't totally bowl me over. Um, and I think going back to Future State for a second, while we both really enjoyed that Wonder Girl two, two-parter, I think we got more Yara in the Superman Wonder Woman and the Justice League stories in terms of her personality. Yeah, I think so. The, th- the thing I remember about the... Wonder Girl comic in Future State was that she was depicted as very impulsive. Like her choices. Yes. Her, her choices in the action were the things that were getting her into deeper trouble. Um, and that was that was in the narration, too. You know, like it it it, it made mention of how she's new at this and very impu- like not holding back, very impulsive and ending up in these scrapes because of it. And that is the, that's the one thing I can tell you about her character at this point from the Joel Jones, uh, written issues. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think your criticism is exactly correct. Um, and I'm, I'm just hoping that we get a little more as this, uh, uh, goes on. And I think, you know, the, the teaser along the bottom, at the end of the issue says a hero's journey begins, which makes you, you know, that's a direct reference to like the hero's journey. Right. So I think there's an admission that like, we are very much just getting started here, but it's the same thing that I've said about, um, like Philip Kennedy Johnson's Superman stuff before the war world stuff. Like you just don't have time in comics anymore to 
uh, get to the end of your first issue and then say like, okay, the hero's journey begins now, <laughs> you know, yes. like time, time in corporate comics these days is a premium. And, um, yeah, that, that being said, like I look at this comic any, every day and twice on Sundays. So, yeah, absolutely. It looks gorgeous. And I think that there's enough intrigue around the book to keep me coming in every month i just hope that like you said we get more of her and uh yeah but overall i'm not complaining about this book at all it's 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 fun it's it's exactly what i hoped visually it would be and i am more than willing to give it some time to get to the place that we need it to be in terms of the storyline um yeah but yeah so um any other thoughts on this week of comics? Um, this is me stalling for you to look up next week's comics, by the way. <laughs> you know what would be even better? What's that? If you uh, if you sent me a farmer's only DM saying, hey, uh, Vince, pull up the... <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true. Um, if I oinked you, I think we've established that's what DMs are on farmer's only winks, right? Is it oinks or is it moos? It might be moos now that I'm saying it. I I forget our own canon we have established here, but yeah, yeah, I can't remember either. Um, stall a little bit longer, why don't you? I can do that, sure. So, um, okay, yeah. I got him. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Detective Comics ten thirty six Action Comics. They're they're not going to be in alphabetical order, which just vexes the hell out of me. But um, mm -hmm. Action Comics ten thirty one. Uh, Batman Superman 18, uh, Robin number two, Teen Titans Academy number three, Harley Quinn number three, um, Mr. Miracle, the Source of Freedom number one, Ooh. the the Stargirl Spring Break special, Ooh, tugging my collar. Yep, tugging tugging um, my collar as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, that's it, I think, as far as what we're covering. Okay. Milestone Returns, Milestone Returns, Infinite Edition number Zero. I don't know if that's is that digital only or is that a that is the print version of the digital only book with some more meat added to it. Okay, and we already talked about the way back when that digital yes yes we did comic came out. So yeah, so we probably won't cover that, but everyone should at least check out the milestone stuff. Yes, I I agree with that completely. So. All right. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, remember, tweet at Wilker Fox when you see him pulling out some bullshit in a few weeks when he returns. Whenever he returns, who knows when he's coming back at this point? He's he's he, milking he this whole not. fatherhood thing. Yeah. What uh, if he What if he pulls an Aaron Rodgers where he says, uh, "I I want to leave the show. I want to get traded to." Well, he's already on the manga club. But <laughs> it'd be it'd be like if Rodgers played for the Broncos and the Packers at the same time. Right. Which hey. Aaron, I'm open to that. You want to be a Bronco and a Packer at the same time? Like, hey, we'll figure out a way to make it work. I'm sure the commish you can work on that. Let's do this. Let's talk. Are you encouraging Raj to call Raj? <laughs> yes. Yep. Wow. Okay. You know the you know the commissioner's name. That's interesting. Roger Goodell. Of course, I know the commissioner's name. Yeah, I don't. You're just such an anti-football boy that I'm not anti-football. <laughs> Look, I just like to see people get CTE in different ways. That's all. I like to diversify my brain injury viewing. Okay. Yeah. So 
So in other words, like you do tune in to the NFL sometimes to see the CTE in the NFL. And then you also watch Brewer games to see Bernie Brewer get CTE when he goes down the home run slide. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I also watch, I, I have an extensive collection of the Boy Fights DVDs. <laughs> so... I love uh, I love referring to CTE as something you instantly get when you hit your head on something. Yes, of course. It's like instead of a <laughs> you bang your head condition that you get over. Yeah, like you open your freezer and then bend down and then stand up and hit your head really hard on the freezer. It's like ah CTE. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. Oh man. Uh, well, anyway, have fun. Tweet it, tweet it, Zach with that stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. If you need Vince, we've established that it's either a moo or an oink that will get you in touch with him on Farmers Only. And um, you can find him Sounds there. really bad. Yes, you can find him there creating fake profiles of hot singles in the Green Bay area to try and keep Aaron Rodgers in, uh, in green and yellow next season. <laughs> yep. Those are the That's colors, right? right? I, I didn't fuck that up? That's right, yes. Okay. I mean... I mean, it's it's not gold, but they are more traditionally referred to as the green, green and gold. gold. Sure, yeah. Um, but but you are technically correct, which according to Philip J. Fry is the most. Uh, <laughs> what does he say? The uh, you're technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. Something or, like that. Yes. I don't I don't know that that was even Fry who said that. It was maybe. Uh, Professor it's from Futurama. Or something. It's from Futurama. Yes, it's yeah. from the. The guy with the gross toes who flew on the, the bad plane <laughs> at one time. Now I feel terrible about buying those flaming most sneakers. <laughs> All right, good night, everybody. Now what happened?